1: because it's time, it's, it's time for reparations. LGBTIQ rights are black rights. We have always been here, black queers, we will always be here. It's like, it's a form of cultural imperialism.
0: The only thing I have in common with this character is that she's black.
1: This does not look like me or sound like me.
2: I'm Gary Foley.
1: I'm Francesca Ramsey.
2: This is Amir
1: Rahman. And you're listening to The Race Card.
3: Welcome to the race card. I'm your host, Amina Ziyad, and joining me in studio today, we've got Zach Ahmed and Ahmed Youssef. Say hi.
1: Hey, hey.
0: Hey, hey. Uh.
3: <laughs> so, before we begin, we'd like to do an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the Kulin people as the owners of the land on which we meet, and we pay respect to the elders, both past and present. This land was never ceded, and the processes of colonization, occupation, Incarceration and genocide that began over two centuries ago continue to this day. You're listening to our one-hour show where we chat politics, current affairs and pop culture with a little bit of a twist, as well as wrapping up the most provoking, most thought-provoking issues in Australia for the week. Today, we have a special interview with Magan Magan, writer and poet extraordinaire. We look at the Chris Gale incident and the response to Malcolm Knox's recent article in the Sydney Morning Herald, 7-Eleven's exploitative Haka ad and the Advertising Standards Board, and hyper-tokenism in the Star Wars franchise and films at large.
2: This is Amir Rahman and you're listening to The Race Card.
3: This week we've got Muggin Muggin. Joining us in studio,
0: Muggan, Thank you for coming on the race car. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and uh, we're gonna we're gonna move into the interview. Uh, I hope you're not feeling too pressured, uh, listeners. Muggan's a loyal listener, and we've got him on the show. I am a loyal listener. I enjoy this show. You know, it's a great uh, show. I had to, I had to twist his arm a bit for, t- to come on the show, but <laughs> he's here, and that's all that matters. Uh, Muggan, uh you're a poet.
2: Yes, I am. I am.
0: And uh, you. You, you dabble a bit in, in the poetry scene and a little... talk to me about your poetry.
2: Yeah, um, so yes, I I guess I would say I'm sort of in the poetry world. So I started writing um, in my teens. I'm 28 now, so it's a...
0: It's been a long process, hasn't it? It has
2: been, it has been. Um, so yeah, I started writing in my teens and um, initially it was just to just write how I felt or like things that I was bottling up and I didn't really see it as poetry I just saw it as me expressing myself Um, and then in year 11 I think it was my um, English teacher um, introduced us into doing um, poetry and creative writing and so I wrote a few things that I didn't really consider as poetry, and and she was like, "Oh, dude, this is amazing!" Blah blah. You should, you know, you're a really good writer. You can write poetry. I really like this and blah blah. And so that really encouraged me, and I felt like she was being genuine in her in her um, approach to my work. And and she was, and she did tell me things that she didn't like. Well, she did give me uh, constructive criticism, but I guess the what I took from that was encouragement and that I can possibly write poetry. Um, so yeah, it basically started from there and then, um, I actually started, um, sharing my work, uh, when I was about, I think my mid twenties. Um, and so I entered the spoken word scene then. Um, and so it, and then it started off and then I would write predominantly to, um, Speak the words, so that's how I entered into the spoken word because I wanted to speak what I was writing, and then that um, did that for a couple of years, and then it changed um, as I now write for the page, and I think for me that's where I'm most comfortable at and where I feel most myself is when I write for the page. And, and
0: what does that mean, like writing for the page for people that aren't kind of like okay with this, uh with poetry? Yeah. What is what is the difference between writing for the page and yeah. and speaking?
2: yeah so for me the difference is um with writing for the page there isn't a performance element to it so um instead of performing i read my work um i don't memorize the poems that i write um yeah so it's, it's and it's predominantly for it's predominantly for reading the poem so and then there's a and then there's a publishing or you know publishing a work um factor and, yeah in the, in being a page poet I, I think
0: so what what's the i guess what kind of like influenced you in the change cuz as you said you're you're writing predominantly to speak out right you're just you're saying kind of like you're a spoken word poet basically and then now you've 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 kind of like reigned that in and now you're writing for yeah. the page and, yeah. and and that writing aspect is is more yeah. important for you
2: yeah 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 um because oh, one of the Um, I guess, burdens I felt when I was performing um, the poetry or when I was doing the spoken word is I felt like I had to make the audience feel something or make them feel a certain way or if I wanted to make them feel reflective, then it was my responsibility to do so. And being a page, being a poet for the page, I don't feel that responsibility anymore. I don't feel that burden anymore. Um, So that's one of the reasons, you know... um, Talk to me about
0: the responsibility aspect of it. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I know speaking to you like in private, yep. you talk to me about like this idea and this responsibility being like that black poet, being kind of like, you know, I've got to be to be talking about racism. I've got to be talking yep. about race. I've got to be talking about me. And and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with talking about that and those aspects. Yep. But do you feel that has kind of like pigeonholed you as a, as a writer and as a poet?
2: Yeah, well that's a yeah that's a very interesting or hard thing Cause i I always think about that and it's something that i am navigating myself and on one level yes i i am black um it's 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 part of me um i you know I live in a racialized world, so I am racialized and I have those experiences, but I also feel like um just to borrow your word, it pigeonholes you so What's then expected is for me to just only write about race. And I only write about that and that being the thing that I do. So for me, the way I see myself as a writer is I'm a poet, I'm a writer who happens to be black. And in my writing, um I engage issues that I that are important to me or issues that I experience. So I do write about racism but I feel like for me it comes out organically or it's a little bit more subtle and not so overt or obvious because I don't want to approach politics in that in that manner um so you know I also write about religion I'm Muslim but I don't write about religion in a in a very you know out there obvious way so I want it to come out organically because these are these are things that I am and so I feel like I I, I feel like it'd be better for me to um approach it holistically if that makes sense yeah
0: so so it's kind of like um these are chapters of my
2: identity Exactly. And yeah. I
0: and I want to approach it that kind of way.
2: Yes, 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 yes. And and I don't want to um I want it to come out. I want it to just be there. So in my writing you can you can see that it's that certain poems about racism or being Muslim or together or but it's not I feel like anyone can relate to it in a sense, but also has that Muslim experience or that black experience. Intertwined into the into the poems, yeah. and I kind of
0: how when did you realize that change? When did you feel yeah. um, you needed to kind of like be more organic in your writing?
2: Yeah, so I noticed um, um, white writers or white white poets um, being able to have the flexibility to talk about universal things, and and I was writing about because when I did start I did write about race in this very obvious way so I was I was black and I was Muslim and you know um, colonialism impacted me and and you know I have that that relationship with it but um, the white writers weren't doing that um, and they were talking about things that impacted me as well so they wrote about love in this and weren't questioned um, wrote about you know happiness um, and so and I and I thought about the aspects of me that aren't really that aren't that are part of me but aren't really um questioned or is a clean slate. So for example, I'm a male and no one's ever asked me, you know, you're a male poet, you know, or no one's ever introduced me as Muggle the male poet because in this world we live in being male is a clean slate. So it's it's invisible and I want that invisibility because it gives me that flexibility. Um, and so I so it's, I guess it's about balancing. I'm trying to, like, um, balance these different identities, but also be flexible and be and, uh, free, so to speak.
0: Kind of like um, it's the kind of thing where white writers and white poets are able to have that flexibility, to be able to be holy. They can write about love and it can be fine. And people uh, yeah. who people will listen to it because they want to hear about general poetry. But yes. if you just, they see the black writer or the black poet and they think like, Oh, I've got to listen to them only when it comes to race. I don't need yes. to listen to them when they want to talk about yes. happiness, love, yes. family.
2: Yes. Because, um, all experiences become just about race. So, um, you know, I experience love. I experience sadness. I experience grief, loss. And these are the things that I want to write about because I am a human being. Um, a human being that is racialized, yes, but I am a human being. Um, yeah. Why do you
0: think um, you've been pigeonholed in that kind of way in the past?
2: I think it's what ex- what's expected. So you're given a certain space, and you're told this is where your space is, and this is where you belong, and this is this is it. So they pigeonhole you into there, I and mean, it's the same for um, women writers. They're women writers, Well, so, you know, why can't they be just writers? You know, um, my gender isn't really isn't added into this equation, so everyone's given a box, and then everyone is pushed into that box. And until we kind of venture out from that box, um, and and without, but it's also about acknowledging these 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 realities because they do inform my world and how I and how how I see things because. I do look at things from the lens of race, but that's not the only lens I look through. You know.
1: <laughs> you spoke about your work doing uh, sort of spoken word, um, and then sort of transitioning to writing for the page. Yeah. Do you think it's uh it's easier to navigate uh, through that whole you know the the pressures of of I suppose the the poetry scene to to box you and pigeonhole you into a certain place? Is it easy? Is it easier for you to navigate that if you're writing for the page or on stage or w- which is peripheral. no I, I
2: don't think I don't think it's necessarily easy. I think it's just a different set of um complications that I, it's just different because when I was in the spoken word of a performance poetry scene um there was a lot of people of color and a lot of um you know women or l g b t folks um and it was very social justice. The energy was social justice, and, and you know, but coming into the and, and entering into the kind of page poet or poets who read their work, that sort of scene. It when I go there, it's just literally old white men, literally. So, um, it's very established, um, and so you know, you have, you have your, you know, your different complications man like
0: yeah because yeah. like obviously there's things to nav- do you feel like the thing is um the only people that are afforded the nuance the only people that are afforded the kind of ability to be able to
2: just be poets yeah
0: are in, in that sense old white men
2: yeah 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 uh definitely um yeah because everyone else is something a woman writer or a black writer or a brown writer or you know um a Queer rights or whatever um so yes, um, and it does reflect power and how power works and who is given um a clean slate, so to speak um so it does work in that way, but yeah I, but everyone has i guess power in their own in their personal lives or in their we can kind of work through that yeah but but it's I think it's important to be aware of these things and um yeah. So talk to me about the
0: themes of your poems because we're going to play a poetry piece of yours um, right now. Um, We're going to play it right now and uh, we'll come back and um, we'll start talking about the themes of your poetry.
2: Yeah, cool. When love is taught by men with wet tongues, the sweaty boy in my class told me his father loves the woman next door. I saw my daddy put his hand underneath that woman's skirt. She said stop, stop that and pointed to his creeping hand. He made her tilt her head and open her mouth until it was the size of a full moon. She had missed moving through the gaps of her teeth, her breath quickening. It could house my sorrow, she sounded like a dying cow. She said, don't, but his hand continued to walk. During playtime, I saw the sweaty boy pulling down girls' dresses. I know what love is, he said. It is silence, and yes, and no. So yeah, so that was a poem
0: called, was it um, Wet Tongues?
2: Um, so the, the poem was called um, When Love is Taught by Men with Wet Tongues. And and, and
0: and tell me about kind of the themes of your poems. Um, I've listened to and, 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 and heard you uh, read some of them. Tell me some of the themes of your poems for people that have not seen your work.
2: Yeah, 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 cool. Um, so I, I like to ex- explore um, things that have to do with um, obviously race and, you know, being Muslim and, no, but also love, um, you know, shame is a big thing that I like to explore and want to explore. Um, and then there's like, because obviously shame is a big, a big um, theme. And then there's like other intersecting themes. So like um, grief and loss and loneliness. Yeah, so they're, they're the kind of things that I...
0: So I also know that you're, you're writing a chapbook and, and the chapbook yeah. is Washing the Shame Off?
2: No, no, it's called Writing um, Shame Away
0: writing shame away, yeah. and, and and basically, as you say, sh- shame is a big issue, a big theme for you. Why is it?
2: Yeah. Um, so I feel the world we live in today is, is, I don't know if grammar is the right word, but there's so much shame in the world, man. And I've seen what it's done, what shame has done to people, what it's capable of doing. Um, shame has literally killed people. And so, and I, I feel like everyone has a relationship to shame, um, and and it, and it manifests differently, um, but also in this very similar way. So it manifests differently for a, a, a woman than it would for um, um, I don't know a, a male, for example. Um, and and so I want to look at that, and I and I want to um, also confront my relationship to shame um and obviously guilt comes into there as well and they work together very well
0: yeah and and having listened to that poem you 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 uh um that poetry piece before about about talking about what tongues talking about men uh like a male relationship to to women for example yeah and how that in itself is almost always um uh, sexualized and 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 is is that also patriarchy? Is that something that's prominent into your writing? Talking about things that you've you've done that were sexist. Talking about experiences yeah. that you were on that other side of the foot and, and yeah, um, reflecting on that.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Um, I write about gender a lot, and when people assume, think about gender, they think they think it's only issues with women and how women are seen. And so I also write about um, gender and and the way it constructs manhood, masculinity, what it means to what it means to be a boy, what it means to um, move around like a boy so um, and shame ties into that when I talk about or write about boys and men who don't conform to what is um, what is supposed to be masculine or man or boy. Um, so, movement is a good example. is a very obvious example. So, um, if you if society will look at a boy or a man um, who whose hips sway, and that and that is um, often said to be a very shameful thing, and then it obviously comes down to patriarchy, man. Because what what is why is that body being shamed? Because it's its closeness to the f- uh, f- femininity or what is seen as female so the world is saying no you're bad because you're close to what we already detest
0: um, and like I-, I can totally relate to that like uh, i remember i'm not gonna say who i was with a few people that i know and this guy yeah. walks in yeah. and just because he's walking a certain way just because yeah. he's talking a certain way moving his hand in a certain way yeah like oh And not being very homophobic about it as well, saying like, "Oh, like look at him," you know, like and that kind of thing, and and that is a way we kind of like look at the
2: world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. how
0: has how has writing about that changed the way you see things, and how has that kind of made you reflect? Right, right. right.
2: So, one of the primary reasons why I write, actually, is first I want to humanize myself. I want to um, see myself as a human being, and also see others as human beings, and. And I, I like to um, document or explore those things—the the more subtle um, digs or the more subtle um, things people do to tell someone else they're not they're not a human being. So when that when that guy walked in and his guys rolled their eyes, th- I want to explore that. I want to explore what that means, um, you know, in relation to him and in relation to themselves. Um, yeah.
0: Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show. It's it's been a real pleasure talking to you. It's it's, yeah, you it's t- really flown by, like. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. I, I know you were kind of like afraid and hesitant to come on the show. Like, uh, listen, this, uh, <laughs> like this guy is really good at his stuff. Um, you can find him online. I think your are muggin nine out on uh, on Twitter. Yes, is that, is that your handle?
2: Yep, yep. Mugging like nine, yep.
0: Yeah, the number nine. Yeah, yeah. Not the not the spelt. The number. His yep. number nine. Um, you can find his uh Tumblr. What's your Tumblr?
2: Um Phantom Lip. Phantom lip.
0: Hey, he's got the <laughs> Phantom Lips. Uh and, and your SoundCloud? What about your SoundCloud?
2: Um, so it's so it's um Uggen, muggen? <laughs> Uggen, muggen. I don't know why that well, happened. you, you can
0: you, if you go to his um, Tumblr or his uh, Twitter, you can find the SoundCloud, and I think there's there's a few really good pieces. I really like the Covenant, um, ah, cool, cool. and and that piece we just played, the Wit Tongues, That that really resonated with me. And uh, he's a really good poet, really talented. He's he's writing a chapbook. He's on his way. Yes, I'm not yes. sure when that's going to be published, but um writing the shame away will be a book that you want to read when it's finished um and and yeah thanks for coming to the
1: show
2: oh thanks for having me man
3: (laughs) bye (laughs) see ya (laughs)
1: what's going on people this is akala and right now you're listening to the race card big up
3: we're going into our segment the week that was where we highlight what's happened during the past week
0: Yes, and this week Chris Gale verbally harassed sports journalist Mal McLaughlin, which and uh, he's shown to he's had a history of of uh, verbally harassing and uh, allegedly sexually harassing women um, in sport, which um, which is obviously very bad. But I slightly war- worried whether Gale's sexism would be used as justification to be racist and. Well, unfortunately, I was proven right with Malcolm Knox's racist column in in Fairfax, and uh, before that, uh, the uh, racist cartoon in the Herald Sun. But what gets me what gets me right is the satire and parody excuse. You know, the, the the justification. The hey, you know, I'm trying to be funny. I'm trying to poke fun at things. And I guess with with lines like this uh, from Knox, it's hardly satire. It's just it just rudely. It's just rude and offensive. Um, uh, the quote starts, You people have such lovely big smiles. The way your teeth and your own sparkly eyes shine out in the night time. You're a beautiful man. Welcome to Jamaica. And have a nice day. Heh heh heh. And didn't end there. Um, dedicated an article mocking Patois. Um, and and that's just not satire. That's the way... That's someone's um, innocent language. That's someone's... Um, someone's way of speaking that's that's someone's culture and in didn't end there the piece attempted to, to at least in my opinion to cluster black men as violent abusers and and while Chris Gale and a number of people mentioned in the article were abusive and rightly so being have been uh, criticized for that abuse in the past um, I, I don't think Uh, The clustering of and homogenizing of uh, people in America, people in the Caribbean, when there are millions of people necessarily was the right way to go. And uh, a quote from the article, I'd pay any money to watch you on the field. Like Like I'd watch Mike Tyson, Ben Johnson, OJ Simpson, whatever else the PC grade will say about you people. You're the most breathtaking athletes. You people. Note that you, he said you people. You people. You know, it, it's also kind of like when you talk about people like Mike Tyson and OJ Simpson, people have a, a history of being abusive uh, towards women um, and kind of like positioning kind of like black people to be uncivilized. And, I, and the piece is basically talking about, you know, the cultural difference that black people who don't fully understand the progressive nature of the West, and particularly Australia. Like, uh, and I was speaking to, to Maxine Benham-Clark, who we got. Uh, on the show a few weeks ago, um, and as a person who has Caribbean roots, she said um, it's a bit of it's a bit of a cultural difference, and what kind of behaviour is acceptable in Australia served to highlight um, his ethnic difference and to imply that Australians hold themselves to a different, higher, more civilized standard of gender equality, which is highly questionable proposition. So, wh- wh- what were your what were your thoughts on this whole Chris Gale debacle?
1: yeah look <laughs> um right from the get go i just i could sense that this was going to turn into a bit of a a storm of nastiness i suppose um so you've got like you know th- this black guy who's who's being a bit of a prick with you know being ha- harassing this woman who's just trying to do her job, and right from then, I could tell that this was going to explode into something that goes beyond just general sexism and and um that sort of behavior, it was going to go into race. Like I, that, that was just a given, just from the very fact that he Scary was a black, black man. man. Exactly, large black man, like talking to a, a small white woman. You know, um, demeaning her in a sense and and trying to chat her up and everything in this really gross way. You know, you can just tell that th- this is going to be sort of blown up in like in a different way. Not not the way that you'd expect. You'd expect the main topic to be about. The fact that he is a male who is stepping over the line, he's crossing the line and, you know, harassing this woman, right? But somehow it's turned into this conversation about, oh, he's Jamaican and because he's Jamaican, he just doesn't understand the culture differences here and he doesn't really, you know, you should give him some credit. Like, he's trying, like, no, it has nothing to do with the fact that he's Jamaican, has nothing to do with his ethnicity. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. To do something that he really shouldn't be doing. You know, but he's also, being very unprofessional. This
0: kind of, like, thing about it being Jamaican, there's actually, I was looking online the other day, and there's a history of this in in, in the Caribbean, and Caribbean women saying, no, man, don't, don't just don't do that. Like, and this idea that people from the developing world or the third world are more accepting of, of of sexism like women particularly and positioning them as kind of like these these oh we gotta save these third world women and and i know amina you're you're particularly vocal about this
3: yeah um so firstly before i like um say anything i have to preface this that i think all harassment is terrible um all sexual harassment all verbal harassment um, that is perpetrated against uh, marginalized peoples is inexcusable. And that said, going back to this situation, I think what we see here is a case of people not being able to see the root of their <laughs> upset. If you're upset because this person is, you know, he, he's Jamaican and, and that's what causes you discomfort, I think you need to uh, reassess what exactly causes you discomfort. Um, if it's to do with the sexism, I think that's, uh, it, sh- it should It should to do It should be um, Sorry You're going to have to Like edit this <laughs> just, just make sure You can peek, peek. Um, Yeah Actually okay. make it okay. Like that Like that Okay like, like this Yeah that's better Right Okay Um Oh jeez Lost my uh, Just take your time It's cool uh, Yeah Um People need to Assess Where They're outcry is coming from whether it is coming from the source of harassment or whether it's coming from the fact that it is perpetrated by someone who is jamaican by someone who is black i think when we can backtrack and see where that outcry is coming from we'll be able to at least within ourselves and within the culture we live in address what exactly is happening. Because if verbal harassment is something that we do take seriously, then maybe we would be calling it out for a whole lot of people. And women, not just in journalism, but women in the workforce, women who take up public space, are often uh, given sexist comments. So they are told that they have to look a certain way. They are told they have to speak a certain way. And if we can call all of that out, simply as sexism, rather than, oh, look at this one snippet, maybe we can change the culture but because we are so fixated on this is not us this is something that other people do we are no longer looking at that at least in a western context i feel the western world likes to distance themselves from sexism in the uh, by going by the fact that they're a lot more progressive and they're a lot more civilized. But the truth is they still have that culture. That culture of sexism and misogyny just manifests differently. Or you can even manifest the same way. They just don't um, acknowledge it.
0: And, and also, like the what, what got me as well was... like You didn't need to write a parody piece about him being Jamaican and black. You could just do a parody piece of him being a man. Just writing about that. And about being like that whole kind of like bloke culture like this really blokey kind of attitude that is prevalent in sports like you could really write a really awesome piece about that and that could have been a great parody but you had to write it in 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 kind of like a derogatory fashion you had to joke about someone's language and and the way they speak um and like malcolm knox has tried to write a p like a book on on pathos uh uh before patois sorry patois before he was trying to write a he, he literally um also maxine uh, shared on i think on a twitter as well saying that he tried to write a book about him and his mates going to jamaica and trying to write a book in in patois talking about this and i'm like so this guy is and also this idea that people say hey malcolm's a good bloke you know he's a good guy you know you just got to get to know him and even this idea that Um, For someone to do something racist and be racist, there's this binary of good and bad. Mm. uh, Racism can manifest in many different ways. Mm. Usually the way racism is able to be sustained is through the quote-unquote good people to to uphold racism and, and things of that nature.
3: And even when you talk about um, the cultural difference or the fact that it's because he's from the West Indies or Chris Gale is from the West Indies, by saying those things, it's like saying that it's inherent in that culture to be sexist and misogynistic. And that's the reason why he's misogynistic. That's the reason why he's sexist. Or at least um, doing the sexist actions and sexist commentary without realizing that that is to do not with your culture well a culture but a culture of patriarchy and sexism not so much a culture of a people um you know whether they're from the west indies or not put more beautiful people of color on tv and connect viewers in ways which transcend race and unite us that's the real team australia
1: you, know, you look at the American TV, British TV, it, you, know, has,
0: uh, you know, it's got shows with d- different nationalities. And, 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 and not just putting nationalities just for the point of difference, but creating work that caters for
2: um, actors of different backgrounds.
1: In my mind, I see a line. And
2: over that line, I see green fields and lovely flowers and beautiful white women with their arms stretched out to me over that line. But I can't seem to get there, no how.
1: I can't seem to get over that line. That was Harriet Tubman in the 1800s. And let me tell you something. The only thing that separates women of color from anyone else is opportunity. You cannot win an Emmy
3: for roles that are simply not makeup. So moving on, 7-Eleven has found itself in hot water again, this time for a racist Slurpee ad. The ad features a Maori warrior surprising two young customers with an approximation of a traditional war dance. The clip was posted on their Facebook page, captioned, Can you hawk a kiwi berry? It has since attracted complaints from members of the Maori community, calling the ad an inaccurate and offensive representation of the Maori people, which could propagate a racist attitude towards not only Maori, but indigenous people and cultures more broadly. The awkward performance depicts Maori people as illiterate savages who simply grunt and yell their way through their own native songs and dances. Simply put, the fact that a non maori organization is cheaply exploiting, not even respectfully appropriating, my culture and customs of its own social gain is utterly offensive and unethical. And these are comments that are detailed off Ellen Grant's article for The Guardian. The ad seems to have been pulled out from 7-Eleven's Facebook page. However, they do maintain that they have carefully considered the Australian Association of National Advertisers Code of Ethics as they devised this ad. So upon receipt of these complaints, however, the Advertising Standards Board dismissed concerns following considerable discussion, citing that, and I quote, "...the Maori man is depicted in a positive manner and appears in control of the situation." further stating that the man was not ridiculed or presented in a light which suggests he is to be laughed at or thought of less. They also justify the ad, deeming the use of haka in sport means the haka has become more commercialized over the years. Uh,
0: You know, the thing about this kind of thing is like, when I see it, it's kind of trying to to use indigenous culture, Maori culture as this kind of like showpiece. You know, you don't, it's not necessarily to, to do anything for the Maori people. It's not any, to do anything for them in general. It's just a show, you know, like, oh, we got a bit of culture here. You know, we can, we can show you like, and, and like to kind of like take away someone's cultural dance, to take away something that's so significant in a particular person, in particular, like, indigenous culture, which is, all, is, is so often kind of erased, to to make it into this kind of, like, ad that's just... Um, how long is that? Maybe in 30 seconds or something yeah, like that? Yeah. And, and, and trivialising in that sense is just so wrong on so many levels.
3: And I also think that, you know, the depiction of indigenous people as savages, that, you know, they're, they can't speak properly and they're just grunting and doing some dance it comes back to this whole settler mentality that this is the reason why we are able to colonize you for your own good. You know, we have to civilize you and things like that. And when you think about that kind of, you know, brutal history and that brutal way of thinking, I don't think that's excusable. That's almost like justifying, um, you know, the brutalities that indigenous people has faced. As well as, you know, the whole idea of the board thinking that this is okay. Um, Yeah,
1: I want to know who actually approved that ad, like whether or not they, uh, you know, uh, contacted people of the Maori community, you know had like mm. a committee or something, or like actually I mean how did this get by? How did this well just like the Chris Gale thing like i'm um, like I would have thought the
0: Chris Gale situation that would never like Aneta would see that and think we're not doing this mm. we're, we're we're not going to be publishing this um mm. Malcolm a, good attempt uh not today and and you'd think the same thing with this, but like when you see who, who is on the board, there, there are probably no mari people on that board. There are probably no not much people of colour on that board. There's not people who would have an understanding
1: or, or care about um, the people
0: who are going think to be directly with an related.
1: advertising agency like this, where they are you know using like a cultural uh, sort of uh, a cultural piece in their in their promotion. You would think that they would actually consult with. The people of that culture before they actually present the ad to the public, you think that th- you
0: think you think you'd, you'd yeah, hope.
1: yeah, but well, yeah, and somehow this does this just gets right past. They think, oh, yeah, no, it'll be fine. We don't actually have to talk to or, the Maori community about this,
3: or at least hear out their complaints and actually, you know, respond well to that and actually be privy to their you know, to their concerns instead of dismissing it as nah, it's actually basically whitesplaining. That this isn't racist because apparently the Maori person is in control. The, per- the person is not in control. It is the person is there literally to be laughed at. Um, it is it is to be mocked. Because if you look at the ad, the two young customers are you know young white boys and they're seen as people. But when the Maori warrior comes in, gonna complete like not even a real like it's obviously not a real warrior, but this um, how do Kaka-cha. we say like a caricature of a of a, of a warrior. And that to me, that's what is this Halloween? Like, is this Halloween to you? Like, you you can dress up as other people or whatever. Like, is
0: it a joke? Like, exactly, yeah. it's is a it, joke. It's, it's like it's insignificant. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, um, the history and culture. And tradition of that, of the haka is kind of like washed away. And this idea that, oh, it's become more commercialized because of um, the haka is done in sport. The reason it's done in sport is because there's a lot of Maori rugby athletes. Mm -hmm. And the reason they're doing that is to acknowledge um, their heritage, to acknowledge um, indigenous culture in New Zealand. So that's why it's so important. So, So... that there's no relation in terms of that either. Exactly,
3: and even if it is, even if the haka is used, you know, commercially in sport, that doesn't take away the fact that it is still significant to, you know, a group of people. That is still significant to, you know, the Maori community, and it should be on their terms and not on your terms. You, know you don't I mean? need
0: to perpetuate the commercialism as well. Yeah. Just just because something is commercialized already, oh, let's just commercialize it a bit
1: more. You know, what I mean, mm, it's it's just right. everyone else is doing it. Why can't we get it right. some of this as well?
3: I'm
2: banning all rap this year at the awards yeah don't get me wrong I love hip-hop obviously but tonight
1: it's all about soul okay hold on a second I got another call wait a minute
2: Oh, Thugger. What's up, young Thug? No, honestly, man, you are my favorite artist out right now. But I ain't letting anybody in with no littles and youngs and their name. Yeah. Hang on one second. I'm sorry, y'all.
1: Uh yes. Who is this? Iggy Azalea, Yeah, hey.
2: Oh no 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 you can come because what you're doing is definitely not real. Take a pro to
1: Yeah, I got
2: on my overalls. Yeah. In fact, I'ma send an Uber for you right now. Yeah, come on, be
1: outside. This week we're looking at hypertokenism and film and media culture. This was brought to our attention by this really good article posted on IndieWire by Andre Seawood. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, in his piece, Seawood talks about a new form of tokenism, which he refers to as hyper-tokenism, in the recent film Star Wars The Force Awakens. Now, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with tokenism already, particularly in film and media. It's essentially the act of a predominantly white media platform using minimal amounts of black or People, uh, people of colour, members in their production to advertise how diverse or progressive they are. So, a film or TV show having a black actor to play a minor character, for example. Now, I won't go into too much detail about the specificity of the article, as it does contain spoilers, and I'm not about that life, but Seawood says in his piece that even though Finn, the main character played by John Boyega, Boyega? is it Boyega, or... Boyega. I'm going to go with your pronunciation because I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, played by John Boyega uh, is a black and central character to the film. He's still not a main driver of the drama of the story. Now, what he means by hyper tokenism is studios are using black people or people of color in more central roles, but their color, but their characters, sorry, are not driving the plot or the drama of the film. Now, I personally disagree with his sentiment in reference to this film. Yeah, yeah we talked about this um, before the show.
0: Like, I, I don't think Finn is a good example.
1: No, no, there, there's better examples, and we'll get to that, we'll get to that. Um, now, a, a better example is, for example, Lupita, Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing, I never That's, know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Like, like I, I always it sounded, it sounded. It
0: sounded, it didn't sound like you weren't pronouncing it right, it sounded like you are pronouncing almost probably right. I don't know, man. Just go with just it. With it. Right. Just go with right. it. Just go with it. I'd say just go with it.
1: <laughs> Prior to the film's release, the fact that Lupita was cast for a role in Star Wars was being promoted like you wouldn't believe. Everyone wanted to see the film because Lupita, this dark-skinned Kenyan woman, had what seemed to be, at the time, a major role in this huge franchise. The entire film was essentially promoted as this incredibly diverse and progressive creation which led many black people and people of color to want to see the film. It was only after watching the film that you realize that it's not actually that diverse. Lupita is in the film, but she's not actually in the film, at least not in the way that you'd expect. It's a type of faux diversity that's used to bring in a higher revenue from communities that might otherwise have given the film a pass because of the lack of diversity. And in regards to Lupita, it doesn't stop there. Ever since her role in 12 Years a Slave, as a slave... Lupita has become the token black girl for everything. She's been on the cover of Vogue twice. She's been the face of Lancôme, L'Oreal, Glamour, and countless other products and publications. And in some respects, that is a great thing. But, I mean, it's, it's amazing to have this talented and successful black woman's face everywhere giving other young black girls something to look up to. But the problem with that is that when a white publication studio or company has their token black girl or guy, there's never any space for a second or third. Lupita is great, but this overexposure and hypertokenism just shows that these spaces aren't really progressive. They're just trying to look progressive. It's not progressive if you have Lupita's face on a Lancôme poster, but don't sell her same skin tone in any of your products. Yeah, that doesn't make sense at no. all. Like even like just like with the film like Star Wars, Lupita's like this
0: kind of like oh she's like this her, her kind of characteristic in the film is like she looks like this older African woman, kind of playing that kind of you get what I mean right? And the voice is not even her own, and and like when you saw the when you saw the trailer, you're thinking oh, Lupita's going to be a Jedi. Yeah, Lupita's going to be this awesome character in the film. I was she'll, so she'll set be alongside for her to be like the, the Samuel.
1: Yeah. Like I, I was 100%. I was like, damn, Lupita's going to be in this. She's going to be, like, side by side with John Brieger and, like, Finn and all the other characters in the show, in the in the film. And I was like, yo, I'm definitely going to see this film. And then she's, like, this tiny little orange alien that yeah. doesn't even sound like herself. I'm like, where's Lupita? Where Where is she at? Sh- She
0: was probably in the film 15 minutes max. Like, that that was it. Like, that was her role. And it was like, it was kind of like a, like, they weren't even supposed to be there. They come to the, I'm not going to, actually, I'm not going to do spoilers. But no she's no spoilers basically there for like, just for show, really.
3: Right. And I, a part of me also feels like they're trying to bank on Lupita's current fame. And I don't know if it's going to be long lasting. Hopefully, you know, touch with it, it's going to be. Um, but at the same time, because they're, they're going with that whole current fame right now, they're just banking on the fact that she's popular and people will go see her, um, as already previ- previously mentioned. And also, this whole idea of hyper tokenism—part of it is that it's part of it is not challenging the current ethos. It's not challenging the the current mindset. It's just like we're not that bad because we have Lupita, something this like is that. This kind
0: of like, hey, I'm, not, I'm not racist. I've,
3: I've got a black friend. Exactly. You that's know? that's pretty much what it is. Except it's in the film format. It's in the film industry.
0: And and also, it's kind of. Like because especially if you market your film basically to be this kind of progressive, kind of like we're going to put in so many um, like people of color, we're going to make sure that there is a representation, and it doesn't it doesn't fall through. It's it's false advertising. It's mm. basically like uh, like Zach said, you're you're basically saying hey, this is going to be there. You're going to come to the film and then you're going to leave disappointed. And it just reminds me, I was I think I was reading something on Me Diversified, and they were saying something like decolonize and not diversify in that sense because this idea of diversity is very kind of like whitewashed into this like this uh, we, we can just put like like you said lupita is this um like you only have mm-hmm. one of them it was like like uh iman like before her you'd only have one kind of prominent like black model and and then even that iman was very kind of like the, the reason the west loved iman is because she was a part of africa that looked like they could feel represented them as as white westerners in that sense. So it's kind of like there can only be one prominent black or brown person at any given time. You can't necessarily have multiple epiters. You can't have and even like even even with that um when you watch the fi- like when you watch um we're talking about Star Wars obviously because um that was the kind of entry point to this discussion. It was a very
1: very white film. It was incredibly white. There was so many opportunities for them to have like a very diverse cast, but they've just given all of that up to just have a white cast, and they've just stuck with their one person of color. I think there was there might have been a second character that was nameless that was um of, of Asian descent. You know, but somewhere the, the, in, in there's the film, a little bit of
0: spluttering. But like these are very kind of like mine. Like it was like one line or two. It was like an extra yeah. kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But even saying that, like. Uh, yeah, it, it it just disappointed me because like i was watching the film and i thought it was going to be something else and then at the end of it i was like actually i thought they actually un- didn't cast lupita anyway i watched the film and because i didn't know what lupita was going to be doing i was like waiting waiting where's lupita like I yeah thought, i saw
1: her name at the end credits and i was like but she, she didn't wasn't really there <laughs> you know
0: what i mean it's like what happened did she disappear but then I, I researched and i found out she was playing this other role like she was playing inside this thing but even like that she could like do you know what was that what, what's that um han solo's like best friend chewy chewy like like couldn't so like couldn't that be like you can be a part of the show more like Chew- Chewbacca's got a like kind of like a like a kind of cult figure ho- following in Star Wars community so it's like that's a prominent role even though it's not a big role you can be in a kind of like monster suit or alien suit but still be in the movie.
1: Yeah, there was this one character in the film, I'm not going to spoil anything, but um, there was one character played by Gwendolyn something. She plays Brienne of Tarth in Game of Thrones, if anyone watches that. Um, Of course you will watch that. Uh, And she was a very minor character in this film, but you think, like, such a big star for such a minor character, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just get, like, some... any person of colour to play that role if it's such a minor role anyway? Like, just fill up these spaces instead of just... You know, I, I don't know. It, it's confusing. It kind of makes me want to have like a quota for films, to be honest. Like it, it brings me to that level where I'm like, you know what? You should have at least fifty percent people of color in this film, or I'm not going to see it. I don't know.
3: <laughs> um, there's actually a very interesting. Now that you've spoken about um, standards and things like that, there is this test. Well, it's to do with um, you know gender diversity. Um, so basically, when women talk. Um, and they talk like 30% or 20%. I can't remember the exact details. The people who watch the movie, or the men particularly, they actually think the women are talking 50% of the time. So it's kind of like this disjoint... disjointment? Distorted? Disjointed. Disjointed. There's this disjointed idea between representation and reality, or the perception of the representation and the reality of that representation, if that makes sense. So... If you see one or two people of color characters in a film and in your mind that sounds like 50%, that's kind of twisted. You know what I mean? So when people market these films in such a way, you kind of have to question, well, how exactly do they view diversity? Is diversity kind of like just ticking, you know, tick boxes? Is it just seeing one or two non-white faces how does it look like to them and how would you measure it i think measuring would be a pretty cool way of doing it yeah actually it'll be interesting to see um a set that is 50 percent people of color um because i think it'll be something that we're not used to um visually at least
0: but but also kind of like i remember when star wars trailer came out everyone was like it's white genocide there are not that many white characters when in fact there was a lot of white characters and because there was you know finn because of john Boyega, uh and lupita
1: even though lupita kind of had like a cameo role it was going to ruin
0: everything
1: like oh my god the stormtrooper is black what you can't have this like dude calm down please (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: and, but also like on the kind of like, um, going, going back to the discussion of hyper tokenism regarding Finn, one thing, like the article, like I got the article, what are was saying, but with Finn, the story arc is still going on. Right. It's like with Star Wars, particularly it's like a trilogy. So you're literally watching like the first half and a half hour of the film, like basically 30 minutes, basically not even 30 minutes even. Um, and you can definitely see this potential for growth. And I feel like we should revisit this after maybe the second and third film, and see how that progression of character and hopefully, like Star Wars, think, hey, they, they pretty sure they listen to this, their race card, you know, they subscribe to the iTunes uh, oh, or yeah, or sure. Acast or whatever, whatever really good app or whatever you're listening on, you know, they're listening and they might think, we're gonna put some more people of color. And maybe we're going to get Lupita out of that soon and maybe cast her as a Jedi Knight
1: or whatever. I don't and think... And put me in the show, Steven Spielberg, if you're listening. I'm just I'm just saying.
0: Isn't J.J. Abrams,
1: like, Steven Spielberg's Wonderkid? Wonder- I- I've read that somewhere. I have no idea. I okay. can't tell the difference between the. I just know the names. I don't know the faces. <laughs> I-, I don't know. Like, a lot of people know, like, production kind
0: of names for, like producers of movies and especially music. I was I was talking to someone who said like they know, oh do you know there's this producer, he's come to Melbourne. I'm like, I don't know who the hell this producer is. What song is. has he made? Well, like song? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know how people know these things. I just know the artists. Like I barely know the
1: authors of yeah. books sometimes. It's I just like, know yeah. the book. Yeah. But anyway,
0: uh I guess like we're reaching our end to the show uh thanks for everyone for listening uh remember like i said before you know star wars listen to our podcast so maybe you should as well uh you can find us on itunes searching race card i uh, can find us on a searching race card you can find us on mixcloud searching a car uh, race card you know i almost stumbled there but i
1: you got back, it. I got, we got it.
0: back on my bike. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and uh, Twitter search uh, with the handle at the race card, and find us on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash racecard show. Uh, thanks for, for listening to the podcast. We'll be back hopefully next week. And
1: that's goodbye from me. Bye, Felicia.
3: Thank you so much for listening. Bye.